Welcome to The Waiting Room, a Quantum Leap podcast, where I, Sai, and my partner in time, Benny, jump back and forth through the lifetime of Dr. Sam Beckett, checking out all the times he put right what once went wrong, is the term, I suppose. Joining me, as always, is my partner in time, the aforementioned Mr. Benny Mack. Benny, how are we doing, sir? As always, so I'm doing great. I still love that partner in timeline. I always will. I think I want a t-shirt made with partner in time on it. (laughs) Isn't his partner in time t-shirt going on, I think, to be honest. (laughs) I think it should be done. Merch, mate, merch. It's all merch, about the merch. Well, if anybody's interested in it, maybe we can get some pre-orders in and we'll get it done. Maybe we can do his and hers and his and his or hers and hers maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah sounds partner good, mate. Sounds I good. think that's a good idea. Sounds good. Sounds good. This week's episode of The Waiting Room is looking at the season two, fifth episode of Quantum Leap, Blind Faith, following on directly from last week's What Price is Gloria. We saw Sam leap into the body of a blind piano player. So that obviously entails many different aspects and different issues to this show, to what we have been seeing already so far in our short time looking back on Quantum Leap already. Uh, Benny, when was the last time you watched this episode? Is this one that you would seek out when you when you fancied watching a bit of Quantum Leap or anything like that? Do you know what? I don't think it's one I seek out, to be honest with you. Again, if it's on, if it's on TV, I probably wouldn't turn it off but it isn't one like because there's so many episodes coming out man i keep looking at the list ahead of us um and i can't wait for some of them um but uh yeah i wouldn't say it's one i i wouldn't say it's a bad episode but i'm just saying it's not one i would uh if i was looking at a list i think which we did in beginning of season one um are some of our favorite episodes we want to see this is not necessarily going to make my list uh so that's probably the best way i can put it really that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think my ratings at the end of the show will kind of, you know, ring true to what I'm going to talk about during the episode as well. Yeah. But um, it's quite an interesting premise for me, this episode, because obviously Sam, Sam's leapt into this, this blind piano player. Am I right in thinking this is the first time that Sam is essentially in a person's life body um, where they have a disability? Is, am, I, am I right in thinking that? Yes, so I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Because so, they do a few different things, don't they, going forward? But I think yeah. you're right. This is the first yeah. one that is that way. So for it to work as, obviously, the, the person he's leapt into, the aura surrounding Sam to look like, uh, the, you know, the main character, um, is um, so we now find out that actually, even though the, char- the person he's leapt into is blind, Sam can still see. So that's mm-hmm. quite a different take on it, isn't it, really, I suppose? Yeah, and it's interesting as well as the episode goes on because you see Sam having to, uh, I don't know the best way of wording it. And if I say anything during this episode that is incorrect or not politically correct, I, I, I hugely apologize to anyone if I offend, it's not my intention, but it's like, you almost see Sam having to act blind. You you see him having to pretend he can't see where, I don't know, the mustard is or where he's spreading a bit of sauce on his food or, 
you know, to when he goes to grab a drink and so on. He's got to act blind for the benefit of everyone around him because the person he's leapt into can't see. Yeah, mm. I think I think he does. Obviously, he doesn't realise straight away that he's actually. I think he. I don't know, does he figure it out quite quickly at the beginning of the episode that he's blind because the dog was there? I think and he's got like sunglasses on indoors and he's playing a piano. So, yeah, yep. yeah. I, I think straight away he's like when when he leaps in, you see if you see him sat there and he's just literally hit the last note. The crowd are applauding, and he's looking around and, and sort of you know twigs. Okay, this is a new you know standard practice. I suppose he's arrived somewhere he's never been before. He's got to take gather his bearings, and he's kind of looking around, and then he sees the dog. And the glass, he feels the glasses, and he does say straight away, "Then, oh my goodness, I'm blind." So he see, he, twi- he cottons on relatively quickly. So, yeah. so you see, as a viewer, because I've seen it before, um, like I try, I'm, I'm trying to for anybody that's listening that's never watched the show and is watching along with us, I'm trying to see it from their point of view. No pun intended there, because there's quite a lot of puns in this bloody episode about "I'll see you later" and stuff like that. But um, yeah, um, but um, trying to see it from their point of view for the first time, would you? I think I remember watching this the first time and I think and thinking, oh, he's blind, but I'm not sure whether I came to that revelation by myself or, or is when Sam goes, oh, I'm blind. And I go, oh, okay, that explains the dog in the glasses. I don't know. I was so young at the time, younger. I can't remember, sorry, to be honest with you, whether mm. I came to the conclusion by myself or whether I was led to it by Sam Beckett, basically. Well, that's, yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I, I, I'm not sure how I would have gone either. I mean, the dog gives it away for me. Yeah, so I, I think assume, so. I assume uh, that would have been when I'd have, I'd have twigged. You know? Yeah. No. I. I no. I think it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you, obviously you can't erase your memory to um <laughs> to watch it again to see what your reaction would mm. was the first time you watched it, or whether it would even you'd even like it. Actually, you know, there's a whole different kettle of fish there. But yeah, I'm just was just trying to think. Anybody that's watching along with us and this is their first time watching it, I would be interested to see in the comments or any tweets or anything going forward, whether they twigged straight away or whether it was Sam Beckett saying, I'm blind. It was just a curiosity, really. Yeah, it would be very interesting. And I love all the feedback as well. Anyone tweeting into the show, messaging the show, whatever, giving their thoughts on the episodes as they watch along. I know there's a few people who are sort of re-watching constantly with us. So it's great hearing people's thoughts of the episodes as we cover them, I suppose. This bit, though, the opening scene of, of The Leap, the opening scene of the episode, it got me laughing straight away. I think this was really well done. The, the dog, um, and I'm going to keep doing this all the way through the episode, Benny, so I apologise in advance. What was the dog's name? Oh, you've caught Chopin? me. Uh, Chopin. 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 I'm going to keep forgetting, so I'm going to keep asking you. Yeah, I know I am. <laughs> Chopin. It's like, like the Americanization of Machko all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, uh, basically, we know children, people with uh, sort of mental illnesses and so on and animals can see what we see so we see sam and al and those groups can can also see sam and al so chopin the dog instantly knows this is not the person who it should be this is yeah i like that yeah that was a clever little touch and then basically sam walks off the stage to to this applause you know he's leapt in just at the right time in theory the concert is finished thank goodness he all he has to do is walk off stage and then he twigs when he's talking to Michelle, who is his young lady assistant now. They want yeah. an encore. And Sam's a bit like, oh, um, oh, I don't really know what to do. 
but the dog pulls him back on stage. Yeah, the dog is basically yeah. leaving him back on, no pun intended there. But Yeah, and he sits down at the piano. Everyone goes quiet, and they're all staring at Sam on stage, waiting to see what this, this, this master piano player is going to produce for them. And he bangs out chopsticks. I love that. that. Oh, man, <laughs> honestly, I was I was literally roaring downstairs with laughter yeah. as I was watching this back here. I, I had a, in this episode, I will say, I know we're going to do the overview and stuff in a bit, but like overall... I smiled more through this episode than I sort of went, oh, for goodness sake or anything. So, I, and I think we'll, we'll, you've already mentioned the dog and, you know, so, you know, Chopin. So a lot of it was that. The, the chopsticks, like you just mentioned, was brilliant. Just like that little, like, and then having uh, Chopin bark at the end as well was yeah. a nice little touch. It just, it just fit really well. Yeah, definitely. And then, obviously, that's the end of the show. Sam does leave the stage. Michelle, who is a very prominent character in this episode, which we will get to momentarily, Michelle turns to Sam's character and says, you always surprise me, you always amaze me, and so on. I can't wait to hear what you're going to play tomorrow night. And then the penny oh, drops with Sam. Boy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then we have the intro of the uh, the music. Yeah, yeah but that, I thought that was just a brilliant... I mean, was, I mean, sometimes you get like a little bit of a scary cliffhanger with these uh, trailers, intros, or, or however you want to word it. Sometimes you get moments where you sat there and it's, it's a shock factor oh my god you know Sam's going on into yeah. A, a, yeah. A, a black man or a woman or whatever well it's a dead body <laughs> yeah exactly and it's that moment of oh what's going on and that sort of makes you want to watch this one here this was i, I thought this was great because already you, you you've established okay he's blind he's a piano player and you're laughing along at what's happening and i thought it was really light-hearted and well done yeah, it was quite clever the way they had him leap in. Like he's literally just played the last note of the concert <laughs> as well. Yeah. It's, like, it's still resonating from the piano, it's, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's quite, and I think they do that in the actual, um, the, uh, like the little cliffhanger at the end of last week's episode. So, um, it's good. Yeah. Like, very much so. Before we dive on in to the episode properly, I guess there's, well, a very small cast to this show. There is literally, I mean, when you look on IMDb, they list 14 people as being part of this cast, but they're being incredibly generous. They're, they're listing people who are in the background in scenes and they're listing people who are in the clip yeah. for next week's episode. To me, you've got Sam, Al, Michelle, Michelle's mum, Pete, the policeman, and maybe one or two extras. You've got less than ten main characters in this in this yeah. episode. Real, real thin on the ground with regards to characters and, and cast and so on. So, I mean, with that in mind, Benny, do you have any sort of actor pasts or, or or anything for us this week? Well, one of the ones they've actually listed as I'm looking here now is actually from the next episode. Yes, um, and it's like I'm not going to mention her now because we'll mention her next week. Um, so I'm not going to, so that actually eliminates one of mine already straight away. Um, I will mention, um, right. So in a scene, which we'll get to a bit later on, there is a young girl and this is around, obviously it's set in, uh, 1964. Mm-hmm. It's a set of, you, you get the buzz around an uh, events that are going around New York city. It's the first time the Beatles have been to America. So all the young women are screaming and losing their minds and everything. Well, it's it's not just it, it's it's the Beatles Mania. on the on the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, yeah. Sorry. I mean, are you aware of of that kind of? That, I'm that not. Kind I, of, I, I've heard happened? the name Ed Sullivan. I don't really know. Okay, the, the Ed Sullivan deal. show was a big deal. It was a big talk show, music, entertainment show, etc. Loads of people watched it. The Beatles 
performing on the Ed Sullivan show, doing a couple of songs, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's seen as being a big watershed moment in, oh, okay. in, in American culture. Uh, the Beatles broke America at, at that stage. Uh, there, there's, I think it's over 70 million people watched this on television wow. live as it happened. Okay. And it was the, the start of the Beatles in the States, which then of course led to other bands from the UK, other similar ilk heading over to the States as well. Yeah. And that kind of, Beatlemania and everything that followed all the other bands, the Stones and uh, the Kinks, uh, all of these guys getting big and doing well in the States stemmed from this exact moment. This is a very, I suppose, culture, you know, from a cultural standpoint. It's a pop culture moment then, definitely. Yeah, it's a I mean, very, I'm, I'm very aware, significant, of, yeah. yeah. I'm aware of the Beatles breaking America, which was almost like unheard of at that point, I assume. I mean, mm. how many people watched it? It's going to be beaten in about five years' time with the moon landed anyway, because the world was watching that. So, you yeah. know, yeah. who cares about the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, uh, dude. I'm only, I'm only um, and that concludes point. the last episode of the waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, well, before I get fired from, uh, how can I be fired? We, we co-created this. How can I be fired? <laughs> it's attempting a coup here. What's going on? Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, the uh, the Beatles and everything, and uh, yeah. So the Ed, Ed Sullivan show is a bit like a, oh, what was his name? Oh God, I shouldn't have started this train of thought. You're thinking a bit like Wogan. You're thinking, yeah, but like um, I, I know Morton, the, that sort of thing. You had a big uh, talk. You like like um, is it Jimmy Fallon took over? Yeah, um, yeah, that sort, yeah, that, so, sort of, okay. that sort of vibe. That's yeah, cool. but obviously very, very. Um, very early days. I mean, we're talking the sixties, uh, so you know, the entertainment in general was very sort of primitive back then, very early on. But yeah, the Beatles playing the Ed Sullivan Show in '64 was a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so the 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 uh, obviously there the Beatles are there. The women are all crowding around the uh, the hotels and everything. And one of the girls is running out of the crowd, going, "I touched him. I I touched him, or he touched me, or whatever was going yeah. on." I touched uh, Ringo. I think she says it. I touched Ringo. Is that the line? Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was a bit dodgy when I said it the way I said it, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, it's, um, so she faints and Sam catches her. But her name is Cynthia Mann, but she's just known as Girl. And I'm assuming this is her. I couldn't quite get a good enough look. because I she's think you're only, right, yeah. Yeah, I think because she's the only one that really interacts. There's a crowd of people there. She's the only one we hear really have dialogue. So I'm assuming it's her. Um, but for Friends fans, she was... Um, uh, Jasmine in Friends, and you only see her about a handful of times in Friends. She works at the um, uh, the masseuse place with Phoebe. So that was my little tenuous oh, link. Okay. So, so, you know, quite a big deal, to be fair. She's done other things as well, but um, obviously Friends is probably one of the biggest things I can see in terms of, obviously, I'm only basing it on what I've seen, so I can't base it on yeah. everybody. But yeah, she was also in ER uh, in a one-off episode. Uh, the episode was called Benton Backwards uh, in 2000. Um, so, yeah, but yes, in Friends, as soon as I saw the picture on IMDb, I went, that's Jasmine from Friends. And I, again, she hasn't got a massive part. She's only in it like the first couple of seasons, I think. And she's only in it like maybe two episodes, <laughs> if that. Right, yeah. Well, it says she was in the show from 94 to 98. So I think she was a waitress in the pilot episode as well. Right, um, okay. Can I get you some coffee to Rachel? And then Monica goes decaf, and I'm pretty sure that's the waitress. So she kind of picks up two roles in that show, really. And the, you were the friend's knowledge, Benny. Oh, mate, freaking don't even... don't. I had a com- I, we could have a whole conversation about friends 
Um, and somebody mentioned the other day, uh, How I Met Your Mother is Better Than Friends. Now, I know that's going to polarize the room and split the room. It does not split that- in this room, mate. That person needs a slap. <laughs> I think it's a valid conversation to have. It depends on what you are basing it on. If you're, you know, so that's a different podcast. Anyway, <laughs> Jennifer Rhodes, <laughs> uh, Agnes Stevens uh, plays the mother of um, Michelle, and she has done loads of things. Um, she's been acting for, I believe she's still active as well. She's done loads of stuff. Um, things that I've actually seen, or like she was in Third Rock from the Sun. Okay, yeah. This is summer in 96. Uh, she's in Grey's Anatomy. In 2015, there was something on here for you I wanted to mention because we mentioned it a few episodes ago. Uh, Cold Case TV series. You said you watched, you confused an episode of Quantum Leap with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the episode called uh, Devil Music. So you're going to have to fish it out later, site and see if it, see if you recognize her. She was in Gilmore you know Girls as well. You Gilmore. say fish it out. After you and me spoke about Cold Case, I thought I'm going to watch a couple of episodes of that because I watched that show years ago. And it might be nowhere near as good as I remember or anything like that. Yeah, I'm going to dig it out. I can't find it anywhere. It's oh, not okay. on Netflix. It's not on Amazon. I, I can't pay for a streaming service that has. I can't. I couldn't find it anywhere. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, perhaps it That's doesn't weird. exist. Yeah, maybe I'll put the music in. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, she was in Gilmore Girls, uh, one of the big ones. And again, I didn't watch all of this. My mum was a huge fan of this show, uh, Charmed, the original series that ran. Yeah. I know, they, I know they remade it, didn't they, a few years ago? Um, and she was in about 14 episodes, and she plays Penny uh, Halliwell. Uh, I think I, Grams, so I'm assuming it's her grandmother, because I don't know it enough to know. But she's in 14 episodes, so I'm assuming she was... A, obviously, the surname obviously gives away that she was a family member. And a blast from the past, just because uh, I think it's, it was popular in its day, and I don't even know how many seasons it ran for. But it was very... I remember it being a big noise when I was younger, but Ali McBeal... Uh, she was in an episode of yeah. that as well. So. I think that Beal ran for a long time, didn't it? You're probably looking at five, oh, six, seven years. Ago. I have just found something that I didn't see earlier, and I was about to say, holy crap. Another tenuous trope here linked then from the other actress who was in Friends. She was also in Friends as Mrs. Lynch. And it's the one where they're going to the party. So I'm going to have to watch that back. So she is in also in, been in Friends as well. Mrs. So there Lynch. We go. Mm. Which one's that? One where they go into the party, I forget. She where Rachel has become a. Um, she works for that Blo- uh, Bloomingdale's, I think. One of those f- um, fashion, oh, fashion, fashion, yeah. Thing. Mrs. Lynch is the woman that comes in after Joanna gets killed and hit by a taxi, and uh, she's the one clearing out Joanna's desks and her things, and then tells Rachel that Joanna's died. So oh, literally, okay, she's yeah. literally in it and she's out. I think. I think she might be in one other, but. Yeah, she's um, some one of the higher ups in the company that tells Rachel that Joanna's passed away. So yeah, I didn't know that <laughs> until I oh, mentioned. Oh why? Okay, that's a nice little uh, link there, which I didn't even know existed. So there yeah, we that's go. pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good stuff, mate. Pretty good stuff. I mean, with regards to what seems to be dropping to me on a sort of semi regular basis, because I'm aiming all about this sort of thing. Uh, there's an error early on in this episode as well, time wise. I think I know which one you're going to tell me, but go on. Yeah, the, the big error is in, in early scenes. They're in New York and it's Central Park and, and so on. And the World Trade Centers are there in the skyline. Yeah, same one I picked up on that. <laughs> yes. Now, Sam has leapt in to February 6th, 1964. The World Trade Centers, well, they didn't start building them until 66. And the second tower wasn't even finished until the early 70s. 
So it just well, simply wouldn't. They only revealed the plans for the trade centres, haven't they? I think the previous month. Yeah, it's like they read, wouldn't. So. They just simply would not have been there. <laughs> yeah. Things like that irritate me, Benny. Things like that irritate me. Mate, well, you know, we could we could pretend that it's a parallel universe if you want, with similarities to our own universe. And that's where you start getting into the multiverse stuff. Then <laughs> that sounds far too complicated for me already. Then. <laughs> you, won't like Marvel, you won't like the Marvel films then at the moment, because that's where it seems to be headed. So <laughs> no, I don't watch those anyway, mate. So I think I'm safe from those headaches. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, basically, the, the general the general plot of this episode is revealed very early on. Sam. Sam is walking with Michelle, who is his assistant, but also kind of like the love interest here after the concert. They're talking and chatting, and, and you know, Sam's obviously got Chopin the dog and Michelle to guide him as he's pretending to be blind. And then there's a newspaper on the floor that the camera very keenly focuses on with a headline, Third Girl Strangled in Central Park. I mean, it was it had all the subtlety of a sledgehammer, this this reveal. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's obvious where we're heading with this. Left sort of a casualty in it. The guy climbing up the ladder. Oh, you're going to yeah. be in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> Michelle. Michelle's got a very controlling, dominating mother, and she has to pretend she's studying for her nurse's course to be able to sneak out and go and see these these big piano concerts that Sam's character is putting on. And her mum clashes with Michelle quite regularly over this. And we also bump into, quite early on, the character Pete, who is a policeman. And Sam here, very cleverly, gets the guy's name off his badge as they're talking. So he can go, oh yeah, thanks Pete, to sort of disguise the fact he doesn't really know who this guy is. And again, that comes back to finding his name on the bag in the Americanization of a Chico and and so on. Little things like that make perfect sense, because that is what you would do in that scenario, isn't it? uh, Yeah, you definitely pick up a... So I, I, I can I can vouch for that to be honest. I mean, obviously Sam in this case, he's meant to be blind. He has the sunglasses on to hide the uh, the eyes, so he can subtly just go, "Oh yeah, thanks, Pete." You know, I, I've done that when I've started new jobs and worked in a shop or whatever, and I got name badges on, and they go, "Oh, I'm so and so," and you go, "Okay, cheers." Yeah, I'll grab you know, blah. I'll talk to you later, or whatever. And then later on, you need something because you're new, you don't know where stuff is, and you go, "Oh," um, they turn around, you look at the badge, oh. Uh, uh, Steve, can I? Um... <laughs> so I've done that. <laughs> Probably not as subtle as Sam. He had sunglasses on, but still, like it's a uh, it's relatable. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, mate. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. Uh, effectively, we find out that Sam is Sam is there. Al explains that Sam is there to stop Michelle being strangled in the park by the Central Park Strangler, as as the name is given, which is kind of interesting for me because that rang a bell. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned on, on this show before. I have done on other shows, but I am quite morbid. I'm quite dark when it comes to certain aspects of certain things. And I've got a, a bit of a odd fascination with serial killers and unsolved murders and, and missing people and so on. I, I do a lot of reading into that sort of stuff and a lot of research into that sort of stuff. I just find it fascinating. Yeah. Right? The Central Park Strangler, I was like, okay, is that is that been on a TV show before? Or is that a real serial killer? Because uh, it really rang a bell in my head. And I mean, it can't just be from this episode because I forgot the content of this episode until I literally put it on. So it can't be from this. So I, I, I dive into my little notebook and so on. I couldn't find nothing. So I ended up just Googling it, which most people would have done first, I, I guess. And the Central Park Strangler is actually a real thing. But it was in the 80s as opposed to the 60s. And this person 
wasn't a serial killer. It was this person was just dubbed the Central Park Strangler after they murdered a young girl in Central Park in the eighties, and they, I think they actually got out of prison very recently for that crime because it, was, oh, it okay. was they were tried for manslaughter, perhaps instead of murder. I'm not sure, but yeah. So that was actually th- th- that name, that title, Central Park Strangler, was actually given to a a real criminal in the eighties, which I thought was quite fascinating. I suppose it makes it in terms of you coming up with a name for the show. I mean, it might have been loosely related to that, but then if you're doing it in New York and Central Park, you know, I suppose there's other ways you could then bump people off, but yeah, I, well, yeah, it makes sense. So maybe it was slightly inspired by the actual events that they just put it back into the sixties. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure it would have been. Cause like I said, this person, killed one individual and again it rang a bell i'm not even sure it rang a bell in my head because of the real life case it may have just been that it's a coincidence and that i've stumbled across that when i looked it up i don't know because it's not a particularly famous well-known case or scenario so it was just interesting to me that that, that title for the serial killer was was actually given to a, a real criminal in the 80s i find that quite interesting so but yeah so it puts more uh, uh, proof that it could be a parallel universe in, Sans- in Sam Beckett's life then, really. So it's similar to ours, but not quite the same. Am I going to put up with this kind of crap all, all the way through this episode? <laughs> it could happen all the time, yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, we see quite early on in the episode as well a, a scenario where I, I suppose the, the writing team or the, the writers, the directors, and the the, the, the the actors are very much nailing um, nailing the characters to the master, that's what nailing their colors to the mask to display what the situation is with certain relationships. Because we see Michelle arrive back home and she has an inter- interaction with her mum, and her mum is very well, she, she's horrid, let's be honest. And Michelle is very manipulated by her mum, and her mum's very bitter with what's happened in her life, and she's kind of taking that out on her daughter. It, do I explain that properly, Benny? You know, you know what I'm getting at, don't you? Yeah, no, I think you've nailed it. She's, um, I can't really put any better. The, we, I mean, it goes into the story later on, but like her mother, I, th- I don't like the way a certain word was used later on in the episode. The daughter says, my mum's put up with me for so long because her dad left when she was two. So the mother is, like you've already said, is very sort of bitter about the whole relationship, I guess. Maybe resentment a little bit towards the daughter because the dad went, even though it's not necessarily the daughter's fault. Um, well, she was too. I mean, it can't have been her. Exactly. Fault. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, the mother is very bitter at the world, and because she's been treated so badly, she doesn't let anybody in. So, it's any person she interacts with, she's just indifferent to them or even rude to them uh, from the moment she meets them, because that then doesn't give them the chance to for her to get to know them or vice versa, basically. So she's closed herself off from the world. Mm. And she's also trying to sort of put this protective bubble around her daughter to stop her from being hurt, I guess, because of what happened to her. Yeah. I've also got that kind of, uh, a kind of jealous vibe as well, to a degree. She says a few things early on that the mum, she says a few things early on in this. It's not really an argument. It's more like a one-sided put down, I think where she says that, her mum isn't she describes herself as not being young anymore not being attractive anymore yeah and p- puts the blame on michelle and she says that i was a single parent i had to earn the money and spend my whole time looking after you almost like she blames michelle for losing a chunk of her life or a chunk of her youth and she's 
maybe exacting some form of revenge or or lashing out potentially revenge probably isn't the right term it feels, it feels very vengeful though i think you're right to a degree whether i don't know whether it's meant to be that but the mother seems like because she's closed herself off from everybody else the only person she can well they say what's the saying we hurt the ones we love the most so she's literally but she tells the daughter like no one will basically she doesn't say it like this i don't think but she basically says you're not pretty nobody will ever love you essentially is what she's yeah. doing to her daughter yeah, I mean, jumping ahead a little bit, there is a moment later on where she describes her as being very plain to her face, which is, you know, you're talking to your kid. It's horrific, you know? Horrendous, isn't it, really, to be honest? Um, I feel like because her mother's put her through in nursing school, um, the mother does say in this scene that, you know, it's a good profession. You'll never have to rely on everybody and everybody always needs care. So I don't know whether this is a profession that Michelle has necessarily chosen. I think it's been forced upon her to a degree. Yeah. I very so. much got that vibe, mate. I very oh, much yeah, got that yeah. vibe. There you go, then. So if yeah. both have got it, that must be true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Sam is stressing out a great deal about the fact he has to play the concert the following night. He's looking around the, the, the piano player whose name we haven't actually mentioned yet. He's leapt into somebody called Andrew Ross, this blind piano player. Yeah. And he's, he's looking around his, his flat, his apartment, for music to try and learn what he has to play and so on. And it's around this discussion where Al basically spells it out to Sam that Michelle gets murdered, strangled in the park after the next concert. So that would be Sam has leapt in to February the 6th, February the 7th. He performs Michelle is found dead that night, strangled by the central park strangler. Al also declares, don't stress about it. I'll help you at the concert. So Sam is like, Oh, okay. Hi. But Al won't tell him. And I find yeah. this is just completely brilliant shit isery by Al. Because he's just <laughs> leaving him. <laughs> Literally leaving it to the last freaking minute, isn't he, as well? Yeah. Um, but I, one thing in that scene, though, quickly, is that Sam, you know, it's quite a clever bloke, to be fair. Um, whether it's just he forgets that the person he's leapt into is blind. But why would the blind man have music sheets around? Yeah, exactly. He hasn't picked up on that whatsoever. It's actually like Al, like you said, has had to explain it to him. Um, obviously, he says also about the that you know I'll help you with the piano. But he's like he plays by ear. He you know he listens by ear, Andrew. So you know he's blind. So why would he? <laughs> why would he have sheet music? Exactly. <laughs> so for me, for me, as um, in that moment, Doctor Sam Beckett is a bit. Um, I don't know whether he's just lost in the fact that you know he can see i don't know but he's very silly in that moment or stupid is a better way of saying it yeah he's kind of oh i don't know maybe you could put it down to the swiss cheese mind or something like that i'm not sure but he is kind of sort of glazing over the obvious i guess isn't he yes i find it very i mean most of the time in the show you don't really get that i don't well, well it's been a while because I'm, I'm, this might be the first uh, encounter of it, i don't know but i feel like they were overly spelling it out for us that this mm. person is blind. We already we've we've gathered that in the first five six minutes of the show, so you don't need to sort of hammer it home anymore. I don't think, unless they need to what? remind us of it because Sam can see. I don't know. Do you know, what, Benny? I, I, you've hit something there that is is I think covers a lot of this episode. I mean, effectively, you've got two main arcs to the story: the fact that Sam's character, the person Sam's leapt into, can't see. And you kind of want him and Michelle to get together and the controlling mother is going to cause a problem with that. And Sam has to play the piano, etc. But then you've also got the fact that 
Michelle's going to get killed and you've got this serial killer active in in the park and so on. That's that's basically the, the, the two main plot lines, the two main stories running through this episode. But it is incredibly simplistic. The whole thing is done incredibly simply, <clears throat> really straightforward, very much this is the scenario. This is what's going on. This is in your yeah. face. He is blind. Oh, do we mention he is blind? Let's remind you again. He is blind. You know, over and over and over again, all the way through the episode. Yeah. They really are. I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing. No, I mean, it's, I mean, especially in moments uh, later on, obviously it backfires, which we'll get to. But yeah, I just feel, and then obviously then you've also got the, the I'll see you later, Pete, and the, the little jokes like that that feel, they don't feel like awkward to me, but they, they're they like, it's almost like an eye roll, like dad joke, mm. you know? So it's just, um, um, maybe it's something that uh, Andrew doesn't normally say. <laughs> I don't know. But, well, uh, yeah. Again, I suppose Sam would, Sam would say that. I'll, I'll see you later, Al, or whatever. So perhaps it is just a slip of the tongue. You know, it, perhaps we've read too much into that. I don't know. Possibly. But then obviously if you're sightseeing in a sense of you've always been able to see, you say see you later to everybody because that's how you say things or, you know, I'll see you tomorrow or mm. whatever. So you don't think of it as a negative or even disrespectful until you're maybe someone around who is hard of um, seeing or even blind that you actually feel consciously like I better not say see you later because it feels insensitive maybe. Yeah. So maybe that's what I'm getting at maybe. No, you, no, you're right. You're right. You're, you're spot on. Uh, something we missed, I suppose, early on in it, and it's my, my, my fault. We skirted through the, the opening of the episode very quickly on, you know, that, that's my issue. I apologize. <laughs> but we have, um, be okay, mate, don't worry. <laughs> we have a scene where Sam is when, when he's entering his apartment block, his, uh, I suppose, neighbour would be the term. Somebody who lives in the same block of apartments as oh, him. Yeah. A I've French lady. Yes, yeah, I've got <laughs> A French lady. She is taking her two dogs for a walk as Sam is arriving home with, oh my goodness, Chopin? Chopin, yes. Yeah, that's it, it right? Okay. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, after we've had all the, the, the scenes with Michelle and her mum and then Sam looking for the music and getting told the strangler is going to strike tomorrow night and kill Michelle. We cut to the park and the French girl is calling her dogs. She's lost her dogs in the park in the dark and she gets attacked by the strangler. So that kind of, I suppose the, the way that was done, I think the timing of it was quite good because we just had all this information thrown at us about Sam having to play piano, what the mother is like. We're, we're meeting the, the character of the mum properly for the first time. Alice explained a great deal to Sam. We're getting all this information thrown to us. Yeah. And then we get a, a murder. The serial killer strikes right there and yeah. then with somebody that we met a few moments ago. I think that was quite well done because by the time we get to the end of the scene where Sam is talking to Al about playing piano, I've kind of forgotten there's a whole serial killer thing going on. So the yeah, fact that actually- that You've actually, oh, I think you think you're right because we've forgotten about it anyway. But we also forget about the fact that he has had a good interaction with this woman as he's walking in and she's walking out. And because, like you said, there's so much info thrown at us, and the serial killer, although, like you said, it's like a sledgehammer hitting us, that piece of paper on the floor. Until Al mentions the fact that she's going to be killed in the park, we kind of, I wouldn't say you forget about the serial killer, but compared to everything else that you've been told up to that point. The serial killer portion is quite, I would say, is about 5% of what we've been told. 
Yeah, it's in the back of your mind, isn't it? It's very yeah. much pushed back. To the, yeah. I mean, perhaps perhaps it's better written than I gave it credit for then. Perhaps maybe that was intentional because you, you do have the newspaper, you do have Sam, uh, sorry, Al mentioning it, but then lots of other things go on to almost push it to the back of your mind. And then you, it's almost it's almost filmed in a way where it should be a, a, a jump scare moment because this, this girl is grabbed from behind and then it cuts away straight away to almost make you go, oh, God, you know? So perhaps it is written in such a way that we should be putting it on the back burner we should it should be at the back of our minds and then boom there it is making us jump in in, in front of us again yeah, yeah well, interesting. Maybe, maybe it's a bit more su- it's a bit more subtle than we thought then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest. yeah perhaps we've been overly harsh yet again <laughs> possibly yeah <laughs> we get a few more i suppose scenes setting up the fact that sam sam's character cannot see uh we get sam as you explained earlier on benny with, with your uh, your sort of actors histories and so on the, the Beatlemania moment, the crowd all going insane and screaming as the Beatles are arriving um, on the 7th, which is actually factually correct, which I'm very happy about. They arrived on the 7th <laughs> in the States. So. Um, <laughs> the girl screaming, I, I touched him, I touched Ringo, and Sam catches her as she faints. Now, that's obviously quite interesting because a blind man wouldn't do that. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Unless uh, he's supposed to be like a, an X Men or a superhero or something. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he's Daredevil. Maybe he's Daredevil, really. <laughs> Obviously, he's not. But yeah, obviously, Sam can see. Whereas, you know, what would have happened to that poor girl if um, Sam hadn't have leapt in? She'd have smashed her head on the freaking <laughs> concrete. Yeah, she'd have gone splat on the cement, wouldn't <laughs> she? Sam, Sam's actually saved two in this show, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, at least, from, at least from a bad headache and a few cuts yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> That would have been funny if he'd literally just leapt at that moment and that was what he was actually there to do. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, that would be that's the shortest episode ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam is um, meeting up with Michelle for, I'm assuming this time of day, it must be lunch, uh, and they're in a cafe. And there's a few times here where Sam screws up the whole the whole blind issue. He, he, has yeah. to ex- he says to the waitress, there's no mustard. So of course they both look at him like, well, how the hell do you know? And he has to explain that he couldn't smell it, which is which is ridiculous. You know? Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it is. He does um, kind of. You feel kind of. You think you're actually causing more harm than good in this episode in some cases. Um, but yeah, he can't smell the mustard, which is a good good excuse. He uses that excuse a few times actually. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. He slips up again as well by saying to Michelle, "Oh, you've got a pretty smile. You should smile more often." Yeah. And then he explains, oh, I can hear how pretty your smile is when you laugh, which again, is just absolute nonsense. <laughs> well, you know, you can hear you can hear a laugh and think, oh, that's a pretty laugh. So you, you think logically, obviously you can see it. So that's why he's saying it. But like, you know, logically you could, yeah, I can hear that you've got a pretty smile. I don't know. I don't know how you, <laughs> she brought it. So who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's though with Michelle, I get the impression she would literally buy anything that this guy says. I think so. Yeah, I was trying to place her um, what her age is supposed to be. I feel like she's probably what eighteen, between eighteen and twenty-one, maybe. I I would say twenty twenty-one. Yeah, something yeah. around that time. She so, she's at she's she's obviously finished school, and they're in America. I think they're in school till they're eighteen, aren't they? Is that correct? I think High school so, finishes yeah. at eighteen. But if you look at the relationship between the mother and her, like we've already discussed briefly, her mother is quite mean to be honest, yeah. is a lack of a better way of saying it. And um, so, whereas Andrew, or at least we don't know what Andrew's like, but obviously he must have been quite nice for Michelle to be, you know, helping him out or whatever. But um, Sam's obviously a nice bloke. So having someone who, 
ironically sees her for her to a degree is um is pretty I would assume is a good uh, ego boost for herself really feel mm. ra- uh, I don't know wanted rather than needed I suppose I don't know yeah I suppose it comes down to I suppose it comes down to self esteem if yeah. she's been told her whole life you're playing you're this no one's gonna really want you and, and the we get a bit later you're on you're the reason I have to work you're the reason I you know whatever her mother I, I didn't get a life because I'm trying to give you yeah, a life so that's yeah. all yeah yeah so when you get a bit of attention in that scenario it's going to I suppose it go further than most I would assume yeah yeah I was struggling to find the words then yeah but that's spot on Benny yeah, it, would, it would go further than most because it seems like there are some self-esteem issues there doesn't it yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because again, I've already said, but her mother is—I don't really know—she's very bitter at the world, and she's a piece of shit. She is, but she, the only person she can vent it to is her daughter. Mm. She doesn't let anybody else in, and the only person that is around her is her daughter. I imagine, based on the way we see her interact with the stagehand, the stage manager later on in the episode, like she's like very like. I don't know. I can't, it's hard to explain over audio, but like the way he, she kind of looks at him in the corner of her eye, like uh, um, I'm going to do what I want to do. What I smoke my mm. cigarette. You know, you've told me to put it out. You know, so yeah, very, very closed off lady. Yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah. Spot on, spot on. Sam suggests to Michelle here that after the concert that they should go for dinner tomorrow night. And I'm, I'm that, to me that that's, you know serves two purposes. One, it's obviously Sam trying to get close andrew closer to michelle because you know that's an underlying theme that it ever really being said early on yeah. that they should be a couple sort of thing and then there's the secondary and probably more important well not not possibly definitely more important reason for it is to keep her away from that bloody park and to keep sam's eyes very firmly on this young lady so she doesn't get killed yeah but the mum is loitering around mate isn't she? and she's witnessed this yeah, she's been following her since the. Um, oh, so this is the cafe scene, isn't it? Still, so mm-hmm. outside the cafe, she um, sees that Michelle isn't possibly at her classes, which she should, which she said she is, or at the library that early in the morning. Um, and my assumption of this after, because what happens next is that the mother actually follows Andrew back to his apartment. Yes, yes, we get a bit of a funny interaction from Al and Chopin, don't we, as well. Oh yeah. So, um, what does Al say? Your mother is afraid of cats to the dog, and the dog jumps at him. And obviously, the dog goes through Al, um, and can't um, obviously get out because he's a hologram. So he has a bit of fun <laughs> with the dog in this uh, in this scene. Which, to be honest, Sam doesn't find overly funny. Yeah, it's because Al's winding the dog up. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Sam's like, "Leave the dog alone, you you, you get. You're being really mean." <laughs> It leads to one of the lines of like, uh, this dog eats better than me. And then uh, Sam says, the dog wor- uh, this dog worked harder than you. <laughs> yeah, like, that was good. That was good. Damn. <laughs> uh, my dog, Ronnie, he's uh, Collie Cross. He's quite a size. He's scared yeah. cats. Really? Yeah, legit. Okay. But, but that, we've got four cats. He's mates with the one cat. <laughs> okay. Right? To the point where they share a bed and stuff. Right? But all the other cats, Ronnie's scared of. Because one of them is a fucking psycho and oh, like, okay. went for him a few times. So now Ronnie is adamant that all cats are evil. So he, he literally he is scared of cats. It's quite an embarrassing thing to see because he's like 10 <laughs> times the size of them. <laughs> Seeing a dog getting chased by a cat, a single solitary cat. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the cats knows that the dog's scared. So we'll follow him around the house, making him run away and stuff. It's, it's quite mean. 
Like you're looking at Ronnie, like you're an absolute shit ice, mate. Just turn around and have a go back. <laughs> I think you've made a kids' TV show there. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll start off. This is based on a true story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. CBBS. Uh, you, you mentioned there about Hardy again, mate. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned there about the conversation with regards to feeding the dog, and Al saying the dog eats better than he. The mother is stood there. The mum is stood in the apartment watching Sam read the, the, the supposed blind man read the ingredients from the dog food box. Yeah. And it's just like, oh man, obviously it's a timing thing. If she'd arrived five minutes earlier or five, ten minutes later, it wouldn't have happened, but she happens to be stood right there, right then, and catches this supposed blind man reading the dog food box. What a screw up that is. Yeah, and Alan is actually trying to warn Sam as well. Um, mm. like, Sam, Sam, I, like he's a hologram. My logic was just scream at him, Sam. Like you yeah. know, she can't hear you, <laughs> so just I don't know. But yeah, and of course Sam. This is quite an awkward scene. I felt as well because um, not in a sense of it's bad. It felt awkward to watch because Sam's been caught out. Obviously now ruining this poor guy's. Well, I mean the mother even states, "I don't care what you do." whether you want to run this scam or not, but you stay away from my daughter, basically, is the gist of it. Yeah, um, or she's Sam, going to expose him, isn't she? Yeah, so she believes that, I mean, obviously, we know all know at this point Sam can see, but the you know the person he's leapt into can't. Um, so Sam puts the glasses on um, to hide it, and uh, Sam tries to explain himself, but doesn't go down, but she ain't, she ain't having anything that he's selling, basically. And it's quite a powerful sort of, like, awkward moment to watch. Yeah, Sam's... Sam knows that he's he screwed up this guy's life momentarily here. We see it later on because he actually apologises to the reflection, doesn't he, about what's happened. Yeah. But Sam is... Sam's like... He's squirming. He's he's uncomfortable about the scenario. And this, this woman, Michelle's mum, she's very controlling anyway. She's very bitter and, and has quite a nasty, spiteful streak to her anyway. But here she has the ammunition she wants. Here she has the information to get her own way. Yeah. So she, as Sam is squirming and trying to make excuses and, and acting quite quite ashamed of what's happened, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. This woman is doubling down on the pressure that she's putting onto Sam's character. And Benny is spot on. It does get quite uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just, I don't know how, it's hard to explain verbally why it felt uncomfortable, but I think it is because Sam has been caught out. And it's almost like up to this point to a degree, apart from the information of, you know, the Central Park and everything, and obviously Sam's put things into play to stop this from happening. He's just having a bit of fun with Chopin and Al. And all of a sudden the fun stops and he is cut off by this um, very bitter controlling woman, basically. Mm. Yeah, definitely. We, we then our next scene i guess is we're at the the concert that sam is stressing about and worrying about which you know rightfully so in his mind at this exact moment in time he can't play piano and there's a lot of people that have paid money to see him play piano <laughs> yeah and he's backstage with michelle and this is quite a touching conversation that he's he's basically trying to convince michelle to chase her own dreams and stand up for herself a bit but michelle's kind of saying that's what she wants to do but it's almost like she's been brainwashed into this way of thinking. I suppose when you've got your, your mum, who was the only constant in your life, telling you over and over again a, a certain thing, you just accept it for... You start believing it, it is. You? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. So it's quite, it's quite a difficult emotional scene, really, because 
Sam is right in what he's saying, but at the same time, his intent isn't to break up or, or cause an issue in the relationship between Michelle and her mum. Michelle doesn't want to cause an issue in the relationship with her mum, even though deep down by this stage, she kind of knows her mum is in the wrong. Yeah. It's like a sort of, it's like being pulled in a few different directions, just in this little interaction, I think, Benny. Yeah, it's like, um, she kind of wants to go, she knows what she wants, she knows what she wants to do. I don't think she hates the nursing school or anything like that. There's no, there's no sort of tell through this episode that she hates doing the classes. Yeah. But she wants a bit more than just doing classes and going home or going to the library. So she's been, you know, helping out as an assistant with Andrew, the, you know, with the concerts and stuff. And she enjoys that. So she's trying to have a life is probably the best way of saying it. Whereas the mother literally, I'm assuming she's still working, goes to work, goes home, goes to work, goes home and doesn't have anything going on outside of the four walls at work or the four walls at home. And as you said earlier, quite, uh, quite cleverly, I think the, uh, the mother resents the, uh, the daughter for having any type of fun. Mm. So, but for Michelle, she's, I think she obviously loves her mother, but she also wants a life, but she, she is literally being pulled in two different directions here and doesn't know what to do. And at the ultimately she, she will, pro- I think it's later on, but they ultimately is said that she will probably choose you over her own happiness. Cause she, loves you so much basically so, but yeah. she's very much being held by two both arms and being pulled left and right basically yeah she's that's a good point she, she's almost like she's willing to sacrifice her own happiness t- to be with her mum yeah yes uh, it's, it's all a bit of a mess isn't it all a bit of an emotional <laughs> mess it's very psychological on this show i've noticed since we mm. started <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i mean, sam is is at this stage literally at the stage i suppose at this stage he's at the stage he's <laughs> he's just off <laughs> offside and he's with chopin and he's looking and he's nervous and he's saying oh i don't want to go on and he's asking for al to arrive he's like, i don't want to go i don't want to go hurry up Al! yeah and we get a little the, the little cameo i suppose little appearance by the the stage director who is saying uh, is everything okay and he sam says well i don't know what's wrong and he blames the dog he blames his companion and says look he doesn't want to go on. He's never been like this before. And as he says that, the dog's like, screw you. I ain't taking the blame. He drags Sam out. Yeah. <laughs> I think Chopin is MVP of this show, to be fair. Oh, without a doubt, this dog is fantastic. Yeah. His, his interactions with Al and the noises he makes when he sees that when Al's around and oh, just brilliant. Just great stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Al does arrive though. And he's dressed all in white, like a conductor. <laughs> I- <laughs> Is, I like how he gets into it because nobody can see him, but he's like, I'm going to be at uh, Carnegie Hall. Is it Carnegie Hall um, on stage? You know, yep. um, I'm going to dress up in me, you know, <laughs> and it's like, but why? And he did the same in Disco Inferno. He turned up in those disco clothes and dancing around the freaking uh, on the stage, um, you know, for the film that they were doing in that show, in that episode. So he does seem to like dragging things out, like uh, certain like jackets or whatever, when certain things are happening. Um, I, I love we, it. And his wardrobe is almost like iconic at this point anyway, and we've not even got through all the episodes yet, so... Oh, it, it, it's great. The, the little extra effort he makes for certain scenes and so on. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just brilliant. You know, like you said, no one else can see him. Why bother? You know? <laughs> I suppose we go right back to Genesis, 
in in Genesis, he's there in his dressing gown smoking a cigar because no one else can see him. He doesn't give a shit. And as, time, <laughs> yeah. as time goes on, he's like, hang on, we're going to a disco in the seventies. I'm banging out my, my spandex, you know, jackets and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> He must travel back to his storage. He must have a storage facility somewhere to store all these old clothes and cars and jackets and badges and ties and glasses and oh. God knows Plus what. all his modern clothes as well. Yeah, and that, but even his modern clothes, considered modern in that sense, because obviously he's in the future, is very, uh, I wouldn't say it's out there, but it's very unique. I don't mm. think, um, there aren't many shows, I don't think, that don't even question it though, do you? I mean, we're analysing it now, but we don't really really question Al and his some of his clothing. Uh, maybe we should just add a little feature to the show, Si. Uh, Al's best... Um, rate Al's uh, clothing and the best outfit he wore in the episode <laughs> and what we give it a rating of, maybe, and see which yeah. best outfit we like at the end of the series now, maybe. I don't know. But. Yeah, potentially. There's some there's some absolute highlights, <laughs> isn't there? Oh, dear. Uh, Al arrives and he's got sheet music which he has to be touching for it to appear as the hologram in that front was a of nice Sam. touch by the way i like that that was yes. a nice touch um so he puts the uh the sheet music down on um on the th- what's the thing called they put the music on like a stand or whatever and he puts it there for um, for sam to see and then he walks away and it disappears and um sam goes ow and he, put t- he has to stand there holding it and i thought that was a nice little touch because this piece of equipment on this paper and this you know music is actually in the future so in order for Sam yeah. to see it, Al needs to be touching it, which also sets up for later on in the season, I think, if not season three. But um, we now know that Al has to be touching something in order for Sam to see it, which we've kind of seen already with the picture. Uh, no, we haven't seen that yet. Oh, yeah, we have. Yes, Tom. Yes, that's in, right. Yes, a picture of Tom. Um, so, But that was obviously already in his hand. So for the fact that... Al let go of the uh, music and it disappeared and he had to hold it. I thought it was a nice touch, to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to take away from that a little bit now, though, bud. I'm afraid. Uh, I, I like the way they, they did that to add some... Almost like, just, just to remind you, look, this is not just, you know, a, a, a 60s TV programme with a blind pianist. It, this is... yeah. He's a time traveller and this is what's going on and that, you know, he has to be touching this for him to see the sheet paper... The, 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 sheet music and so on that is great on the other side of that in the exact same scene uh, you can see that quite clearly that al has a shadow and his reflection appears in the polished side of the the piano and it's <laughs> it's right in front of you and it's really once i noticed it i couldn't unsee it uh, and of I course did. as a hologram he wouldn't have this big booming shadow nor would he have the reflection so um, I think we just have to pretend it isn't there because yeah. I noticed a few things. I was going to bring up in a few episodes of certain things, and there is actually even another moment in this one, um, which I will bring up because you've brought it up now. But we we have to pretend that isn't there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Come on, you know, made in the eight. This end of the eighties. This show was made into the nineties. So you know, for what they were doing for the time was very forward thinking. But obviously. You know, <laughs> they couldn't do everything. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the concert goes well, and it goes well because obviously Sam can actually play piano in the future, uh, as Al explains, doesn't he, Benny? Yeah, I'm. My only gripe about this, I I can buy that he plays piano. He's a clever bloke. He's got seven or eight doctorates or whatever. Um, so, but. I would have liked to have seen Sam at least maybe practicing in his apartment at least once, maybe with Al, just to sort of jog his memory. 
because that was quite a risk to do to have Al turn up at the last moment, well, late as well, with the music to go, yeah, you can play music. Oh, okay, cool. And it was a little bit like, I felt a little bit of a cop out. I felt I was cheated a little bit because we only see Sam looking for the music once and then Al says, I'll help you. And he goes, okay, great. But we don't see any, at least some noodling around at the piano. I'd like to have just added in there somewhere, but you know. Yeah, I get you. Like a little bit more depth to that aspect. It's of, sort of, of the, jogging of the memory a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, so. No, no, I agree. I agree. The concert goes well, however, and Sam leaves the stage, and we see that as this has been going on, sorry, the concert's been going on, Michelle's mum has arrived, and she is backstage smoking a cigarette, and this is where she really runs her daughter down and starts saying things like, look at him, he's a superstar. Why would he ever want anything to do with you? And it's just yeah. like, oh, wow, you bitch. It is, yeah. It's a very, hor- it's a unnecessary, to be honest. Mm, horrid, horrid. And she carries on with this, and it, it's your own Sorry, daughter, your own child as well. Like, you know, it's, that's what makes it worse, I think. Mm. I mean, it's one thing to be sort of bullied or picked on by a stranger or someone you know at school. Yes, it still sucks. But at the end of the day, there's someone that is not in your family, not in you can, you can exclude them from your life because of their negativity or whatever. But when your own parent is doing it or even a family member is doing it, it's just, it's, it's horrid. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's, it's terrible. I mean, but again, She's a very bitter, bitter lady, isn't she? So yeah, there's backstory there. You know, mm. uh, no, I'm not excusing it. I mean, I don't, that doesn't mean yeah, it's no, okay, but but obviously her but, yeah. backstory. If you're trying to, you know, if you want to give her a little bit of empathy, I actually feel a little bit. So I'm not excusing the way she treats her daughter by any stretch, but the way she feels about life, she's very bitter. She hasn't let go of what's happened in the past. You know, if if we look at this era, the '60s as well. Not only has she been left you know, with her daughter, which sucks. She's also done pretty well because the place they live in is nice. She's worked, got a job. She's managed to raise this, uh, this, this, this child by herself as well. If anything, she's done really freaking well, but she's still holding on to the fact that her husband left her when mm. her daughter was two years old. When Am actually, I right? Actually Sorry, Benny, you mentioned, the, you mentioned the apartment and so on. Am I right in thinking that obviously New York is literally it, it, it's, it's it's just a city isn't it and then you've got this big green yeah, park yeah. dumped in the middle no one's really got gardens or anything like that. so you want greenery you go to Central Park in my head I have it as the closer you live to Central Park the more expensive the house may be I would have thought so yeah I may be completely wrong with that so if any American listeners or even any non-American listeners who know please let us know I how wrong I am but... no I don't think you're wrong I think that's I, I mean obviously if any we are that'd be great to hear but like um, I think you're right because in terms of amenities and I would say that's quite a desirable place to live. So prices... Because mm, you're right by the park, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it makes sense that it would be expensive. Because mm. they're, they're, they are literally walking distance from Central Park, aren't they? Well, yeah, that's what we're led to believe. We, there's no mention of like her living in the suburbs outside of the city or anything. So um, my assumption is they live somewhere in the city. If not, at least Andrew lives relatively close to the park, I think. Um I think she does as well. So mm. although I oh know that's from the city, she I was gonna say she does take a taxi at one point, but that's when she's going to school. So yeah, we're not hundred percent sure. But again, just on the interior that we saw earlier on in the episode, the household apartment is not horrible. So this woman, you know, not excusing the way she treats her daughter, but she's done really well by herself in that time period with a youngster. You know, I think I think um you know. Uh, people's uh, way of life are, are 
you know, are changing in a sense of you don't have to have a married couple, you know, etc. to raise children or whatever. But, you know, she's very bitter and actually she's got a lot to be sort of proud of, but she's mm. holding on to that negativity that she had from back when this girl, you know, from about 20, for about 20 years, I would say, if she's about 21. So, you know, or 19, 18 years or whatever. So that's really interesting. I, I didn't even think of it that way. I just thought of this, this woman was a bitter old bitch and she's miserable and she's, she's basically pushing she's silly, don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. Just, but if you try the and... aspect of how well she has actually done and she yeah. should be focusing more on how well she, she's come through this, this rough time. She's come through this bad yeah, times definitely. that have made her bitter. She could in theory be happy about her achievements as opposed to being the way she is. That didn't even enter my mind, Benny. That's a really interesting, yeah. I suppose, I suppose character twist that in a way, in a way makes her even worse because she could potentially be proud of herself, but she's not, she's still a prick. Yeah, she is. I'm not, again, I don't disagree with that whatsoever, <laughs> but it, you know, when you look at character building or whatever, um, you, I mean, this show is very much about walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. So if we can sort of, yes, she's very horrible to her daughter, her, her attitude and the way she is with her daughter definitely needs to change but she's not being told by anybody because she's again closed off um herself because of the hurt anyway so she's not being told by anybody she's done a freaking f- her daughter's a really nice young woman all right she lies to her mother but then she feels she has to because of the way her mother is mm-hmm. so that poison is actually spreading to her daughter via the mother for a different reason because she the daughter wants to have a life which we all do when we're teenagers into our 20s we all want to do our own thing um, and anybody that's, you know, her mother's very much trying to suppress things because she's scared and she's worried that her daughter's going to go through the same thing. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly, yeah. you know, her actual intentions are a smothering love. I think the line is used in the show, which I think sums it up, to be honest. Yeah. Again, I suppose it's another sort of layer to that character and that relationship, I suppose, in that even though she's pretty vile, and even though she's very spiteful and bitter and all the words we've used to describe the mother already, in a way, her intentions are right. It's like, I get cross with my son when he doesn't do his homework. I, I get angry with my son when he dicks around at college because I want him to have a better life than I did. I, I messed around at school. Yeah, I think every I, I, parent I, does. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I screwed up at college and so on. I wish I had taken my qualifications more seriously because now at the age of 41, I would have a better job and be doing much better for myself. So I want my son to have that, the, the sort of opportunities that I potentially had, but didn't take seriously because I was, I was a fool, you know? So she's this woman, uh, Michelle's mother, she's kind of coming from the same sort of place, but she's just so nasty with it, I suppose. But her yeah. intentions, I suppose on the whole, her intentions are, are, are right but the execution is is terrible, I guess. Yeah, that's probably that's a good way of saying it, yeah. I would say, yeah. Her intentions are, like you just said, in terms of yourself and your own personal thing, um, are let's do better for yourself mm. so you can have a better life, et cetera, et cetera. But like you said, the way she's executing it, she's almost like trying to put the fear into her so she does better, but also at the same time by doing that is also trying to stop her from having any sort of interaction or life or anything really so it, it stifles her yeah no i think you're right i think you're right all right okay as the concert finishes here sam leaves the stage 
And of course, naturally, he sees uh, Michelle's mum and he's surprised. He says, oh, Mrs. Stevens, which, of course, a blind man wouldn't do because he wouldn't see her. So I straight away, my face when he did that, I really did. I was, it like, was just like, oh, dude. <laughs> but um, this stage, Michelle's mum has informed Michelle that he's a he's a con man. He's a charlatan. He's not actually blind. She's not buying it. As he arrives off the stage, he says, oh, Mrs. Stevens, Michelle has, and rightfully so, has a moment of, of, of quite, uh, you know, she's upset. She's emotional because she thinks, oh, my goodness, is, has he been lying to me all this time? And runs off and, and disappears. And naturally, because of what we know happens in the original history before Sam is here, she runs off to the park, Benny, doesn't she? Yeah. And this is where it's... Um... So, I mean, the mother doesn't go after her either, by the way. I just want to point that out. She's like, yeah, good point. A cigarette and goes, yeah, oh, well, I, you know, I've sorted that out or whatever she's thinking. Um, Sam slash Andy runs after her. Um, and as you said, we see her sort of heading away uh, into the into the park. Um, somehow Sam ends up in the midst of all the Beatle mania fans again. Um, yeah, all the screaming girls, yeah. Yeah. Drops his uh, the, the glasses that Andy uh, wears. Um, bends down to pick them up. As he picks them up, he comes back up, and a flash bulb goes off in Sam's face, like almost point blank range. Mm. Um, and now this, you know, it takes a bit of a turn here because now Sam can legitimately not see, or at least not enough. He can just about make out Alan. I mean, just about based on the effects they put on the screen, and Sam can't see. And a little boner moment here because Al goes, there's a water fountain across the street. And he goes, so, so Sam starts walking and then go, Al goes, hang on, there's cars coming. Now, you should have said, I would have guided you or something. He just kind of sends Sam across the road. Yeah. And then goes, oh, there's cars coming. But again, MVP of the episode, Chopin dives in and saves Sam from uh, walking out into traffic. I think this is a fantastic twist in the episode, and I'll be honest with you. Yeah. And until literally, until it went bump and that flashbulb went off in Sam's face, I forgot this happened. I completely okay. forgot this whole thing happened. So I'm thinking Sam's going to run into the park, save Michelle, give us a, 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 a you know, if you got your quantum leap bingo cards ready, people, give us a, a Sam Beckett spin kick, maybe take his shirt off, and everyone rejoices uh, in his heart. Yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot about the whole flashbulb going off, and then Sam legitimately gets blinded. So he's in the same scenario as as Andrew would have been in the original history, which is yeah. fascinating. It's, it, it it takes the, the it, it takes this conclusion, it takes the sort of climax of the episode in a completely different direction to what I was anticipating as a viewer. Yeah. And it's, um, as you said, you, cause if you've been watching the episode, you expect old Sam are going swoop in and save the day somehow. Um, but yeah, adds another dimension to the, the dilemma now of mm. Sam trying to do this and now he cannot see. Um, yeah. A bit of touch of irony there, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we cut to Michelle walking through the park, st still, still a bit upset and so on. But she's also a bit nervous now because it is Central Park. It is dark. And it becomes quite obvious quite quickly she's being followed. And we obviously know what's going on. The Central Park Strangler is, you know, you know, searching out his next victim, I guess. We get a shot off the Strangler and he's dressed all in black with a black mask, black gloves, etc., and then, I didn't know, did he have a belt or a rope or something, yeah, I Benny? I think, it's, I think it's a belt, but he very cheesily shows the, the belt. And then, kind yeah. of, obviously, Michelle starts to run. Now, 
I have a gripe with this next bit because obviously the Strangler's chasing after her. Fine, I get that. Um, but what I don't like, and you may have picked up on this side, is now when Michelle falls to the ground because she's running, it's a classic case of running away in heels and falling over. Um, well, I say heels, yeah. you know, those type of shoes. Um, when she falls over, it's a relatively easy thing to do in a sense of a stunt. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, uh, yeah, with, yeah. An episode, with a certain episode of I mean, Doctor Who pod, we had a running joke on there that nobody could run away from this certain alien because everyone kept falling over. They must have yeah. done it 20 times <laughs> in the space of 20 minutes. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with where you're coming from. It's something okay. that television programs use all the time. And that's fine. I've got no issue with that. What I do have an issue with, this is clearly a stunt woman or somebody dresses a woman falling over. And it's clearly a stunt person with a bad wig on. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, did she? Could she have not done that? I don't. I mean, there's might be insurance or something that I'm not aware of, which is possible. But like, it's clearly, it's a bad wig. And I think even when the person gets up, who is supposed to be Michelle in air quotes, um, I believe the tights are falling down as well as they run away. So or they've ripped. I'm not really sure, but it's not Michelle. And I'm thinking, as an actress or an actor, sorry. I could run and fall over, but I suppose there are insurance problems in there. I'm not disputing that, but maybe there's something there in the background we don't know. But it just seemed looking at it like that's my genuine gripe on this one is that you've fallen over and you've used a stunt person for it. Um, and it's not even subtly done. I can tell it's not her. And the, like I said, the wig I think is falling off. There's tights breaking or falling down. I don't even know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my one genuine gripe in this episode man is that it's like perhaps, perhaps they let her try it a few times and and perhaps she was just crap at falling over <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe that's why Doctor Who, maybe that's probably what's going on there. yeah yeah maybe that's why she didn't really do anything acting wise afterwards perhaps that perhaps this scene tarnished her career for the rest of her life oh don't <laughs> hire but don't hire that blonde lass she's crap at falling over yeah, you know perhaps it really hindered her <laughs> I don't and if know. You ever, it, that, Michelle, that the, the actress that plays Michelle, if you ever happen to listen to this episode of Quantum Leap, get in touch with the show. Let us know. Did you improve your, your falling over methods as, as your career progressed? Let us know. <laughs> I'd be interested to know. <laughs> uh, we, we get a chase scene effectively then, a sort of three-way chase scene, because we have the Strangler chasing Michelle, and then we have Sam, who is named, as, as Benny and I described, newly blind, with the dog Chopin, that's correct, isn't it? Chopin, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Al, episode, mate, but you've nailed it every time. So awesome! <laughs> it's good to know I can say a two-syllable word properly. That's that's fantastic. That's made my day. <laughs> um, my one thing with this is, as you said, there's a three-way chase going on. That you know, the Stranglers going after Michelle, um, Al, Chopin, and um, Sam are trying to find Michelle. Al's running with Sam now. At first, I was going to moan about this because Al, I believe, can zero in on people. We've seen it before. Yes, in previous yep. episodes. So why he didn't zero in on her to find her? Now it might have been now. I'm maybe I'm I'm being kind here because what he could have done in my logic was zeroed in on Michelle. All right, she's here. Go back to Sam. Go this way, Sam. Follow my voice or whatever. Um, but he may have been staying with Sam because he cannot see, so he's more worried about his yeah. friend. Probably. So um, the only other thing I will pick up on here, and it's only because you mentioned the shadow earlier, so I'm blaming you for this. As okay. Al is running. He is kicking leaves beneath his feet and he's a hologram. <laughs> oh my God. See, now I, normally that kind of thing stands out to me 
but I miss that. <laughs> um, I normally I ignore those. To be honest, I, I, I love the show that much. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Come on, give it some credit. It, you know. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, when I point these things out, I'm doing it more from a a standpoint of we're we're, we're recording a podcast about this this wonderful show that we both love. If I point out any criticisms, it still comes from a place place of adoration. It still comes from a place of love. It's just I feel I have to point these things out if I notice them. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise we're not being subjective. If that of makes course. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not being true to it. You know, it is 2022 at this point. <laughs> so, mm. you know, it's of its time. But I think it was a very forward-thinking show. Um, not just oh, yeah. sci-fi. The stories they tell are very, are very good. So. Yeah, back in the park we have um, Sam being led by Chopin. Effectively, the dog is taking Sam and out to where Michelle is, which is fantastic. Because obviously the dog is very friendly and, and knows Michelle, so it have it have her scent and so on. And these dogs are incredibly intelligent creatures, so that, I thought that was a great touch. Yeah, Michelle runs around the corner, or well, around some trees or whatever, and oh, thank the Lord, we see the policeman. No, yeah. we need to mention very quickly is that when he, the, the strangler does actually get Michelle down to the ground after she falls, but she manages to stab him in the back with a nail file, I think it is. Yes. So the, the killer is now bleeding and Michelle has got away, but as Sly's about to say, thank God, a policeman. Yeah, there we go. Pete's the only other character really in this show. Uh, she runs around and there's Pete, but he's not dressed as a policeman. He's got a black top on, black trousers on, but I don't know, maybe he's just like for a jog in the middle of the night. Who knows? Michelle is over the moon to see Pete, gives him a hug, comes, you know, withdraws from the cuddle, and she's got blood on her hands, and she twigs, oh my God, Pete is the strangler. I and it was a real, coming. yeah, it was a real Scooby-Doo moment for me, because it was literally <laughs> like, if you watch Scooby-Doo, it's literally a case of you have Scooby-Doo and it, it, the, the mystery gang, or whatever they're called, going to these places, and there is one other character who is not in the show any other time. And at the end of the episode, they'll pull off the mo- the mask and it's that one other character. And they'll go, oh my goodness, it's old man Withers from the fairground. Like, <laughs> of course it's old man Withers from the fairground. He's the only other fucker there, you know? And that's exactly the vibes yeah. I got here with Pete the policeman. He is literally the only other bugger in the episode. So it has to be him. When I watched this originally, I was like, oh, what? It's the copper because we never see him again. We see him twice, I think, in the entire episode, maybe three times if I remember right. I think it's only yeah. twice. I think it's the hallway outside um, Andrew's apartment and one other when he's on horseback uh, guarding the Beatles or the, making sure that everybody it stays safe, basically. So I think mm. there's only twice we actually see Pete until this moment. So uh, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, then I'm younger, so <laughs> nowadays that I knew, so I can't really answer that whether I would have got it this yeah. time. I think I would have, to be fair, as you said, probably the only other character, unless it was the mother. Well, yeah. Oh, look at that. The Strangler is Old Man Rivers from the fairground all along. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Luckily, Sam, Al, and, and Chopin arrive just in time. Chopin here, again, Benny worded this perfectly, MVP of the episode, attacks Pete, the the, the the, the park strangler and blind Sam effectively manages to handcuff Pete with his own handcuffs as the dog is basically kicking his ass. And, and that's kind of the end of the, the this whole yeah. whole serial killer issue, Benny, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, my partner watches with me and she got annoyed by the fact that 
Sam's like near blind, if not blind at this point, and can barely see and can barely do anything. And now's the one shouting out there, the handcuffs two feet that way, one foot that way, or whatever. She's like, he's the dog and Sam have managed to sort of subdue this guy. Michelle could have put the handcuffs on her. That yeah. was her gripe, basically. I 100% yeah. agree with your good lady yeah. there. I had exactly yeah. the same thought. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Um, the other thing is, as well, I don't know, because I didn't watch this on DVD. I don't know how you consumed it. I watched it on sci-fi. Now, they were still at the top of the steps before Chopin is on top of um, Pete. It feels like it was cut from the steps to the dog on top of Pete very quickly. Yeah. I don't know whether it was there's something missing there because I'm watching it on sci-fi or whether I'm just misremembering. I feel like there was something missing from the sci-fi version. But without looking at the DVD version, I'm not sure. I feel like maybe they just cut back because obviously they're at the top of the steps and now says there's a lot of them now. Um, Sam grabs hold of the rails to walk down the steps, you know, quickly but safely, so he can get down the bottom of the steps. But it mm. seems like he's there, then all of a sudden Chopin's on top of Pete. So I don't know whether there's a scene missing there, whether I'm misremembering it, or it's because no. I watched it. I don't know. We'll have to chat that out because I watched it via sci-fi as well for this week. I've got the DVDs to to look back on if necessary, yeah. but I've recorded it on the box. It's easier just to press the button on the remote. Yeah, that's you go. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. so yeah, interesting. And also interesting. It might just be a bad cut, to be honest. It might just be like boom, boom, and it's there, you know? Yeah. It just seemed very, oh, Chopin's on him already. That's that's weird. I thought, I feel like there's something missing there. But again, without looking at the DVD, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it is interesting. And as I was saying, it, it is also very interesting that y- your good lady is watching this episode with you. My wife cannot stand Quantum Leap. She wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, I mean, in a sense of she will offer her if she's she doesn't sit there with me and watch it with me she happens to be in the room um, okay. she likes she likes her cold cases and stuff as well mate so she buys a magazine so she's reading that kind of in and out of the episode and just got annoyed by the fact that you know this woman couldn't just put the cuffs on him even though he'd already yeah. been pinned down by a dog and a man at this point she could have done that that's her gripe and she's um, spot on mate she's spot on yeah yeah no i get that <laughs> uh, we then get i suppose all the loose ends tied up for want of a better term. Yeah. Uh, the mother is with Sam and Michelle sat on the bench having a general chit chat. I love how uh, the mother blames this wouldn't have happened if you'd have stayed away from my daughter. This yeah, wouldn't have yeah, happened. Again, very bitter. Up. This wouldn't have happened if you turned up and caused the freaking scene. Yeah. Exactly. They'd have gone to dinner and they've had dinner and Pete would have found somebody else that night. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very, very bitter, spiteful, nasty. Uh, but they're having this conversation and, Sam effectively you know, speaks up for Michelle and says, you know, that does she want what her mum wants or, or, and so on? Michelle effectively says what we know. She she wants to make sure her mum is okay, but also she does want to go with Sam as well. And it kind of gets twisted around a little bit to the point where the mum makes it seem like it's, oh, well, that's good news for me, so I'll let it happen which I yeah, thought was quite a nice touch because it would have been very easy for, in a similar way to, to the, the parents in the Americanization of Machiko, the, the mum was very bitter and nasty all the way through that episode. And the end scene, there's been the flick of a switch and she's accepting everyone's right as rain. Yeah. That was a little bit off for me. Here, the mum stays true to character and is still a bitch, but she's... They're around, yeah, like you said. Yeah, it's almost like she, she sort of stays still relatively nasty and spiteful, but at the same time is is making out she's doing it for her own purposes rather than 
oh, this benefits me because I get a break rather than, oh, yeah, go and be happy, which I thought was quite a... She doesn't repent on what she's done. She's no, just, exactly. She flicks it around, like you said. So Yeah, oh, so, oh, and, you, and you do have people like that in life, don't you? You do have people who will never admit they're in the wrong. Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe she'll get there eventually, but it's too, it's nice rather than you said, like having a, a switch flicked and oh i've gone from oh i've changed my ways in one night no it doesn't happen like that in no. real life it takes time to get out of your old habits and the way you are so i feel like she's turned a corner but like you said it's very clever because she still delivers it in a um why should i look after you it's why 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 shouldn't somebody else take up the load you know i mean yeah. at the same time she also says um what happens if you hurt her and sam obviously says i'll try not to i'm not aiming to do that you know so um yeah very clever actually didn't mm. think of that to be honest mate so you've brought my attention to that yeah and then uh, that, that's effectively it uh, sam sam leaps yep and that's that's the end of the episode so i suppose we better get to our our old boys and our cacas benny our, our plus points our good points our pros and our cons um where do you want to start this week my friend uh you can go first with your caca i think Okie doke. Uh, my caca is oh something we didn't actually mention, which is quite important because the the, the mum is still very much adamant that that you know Sam's character is is not blind and pretending. But obviously, at this moment in time, the flashbulb was gone off. Sam himself is genuinely blind, despite the fact his sight comes back very quickly after this. She lights a cigarette with a match and shoves the match in his face, trying to get him to react. And then then she's like, "Oh my goodness, he didn't flinch." Oh yeah, we so was, he like, must yeah he was blind, but we didn't yeah we didn't yeah so uh, it's like oh he must actually be blind now that's my caca moment for two reasons one we spoke just then about the flick of a switch and somebody's mind changing and it not being overly realistic that happened there went a little caca she showed the match in his face he hasn't flinched and all of a sudden it's like oh my god he was blind all along yeah okay I ain't yeah. buying that and secondly the the action of that himself that's a blind fella that you're shoving fire in his face. Yeah. And this, wo- this woman is a bitch, and she is a big caca moment in herself. But what she did there, yeah, n- not a fan of, pal. That, that's why caca, I think. Went a little caca. But no, she didn't apologise, I don't think. She walked away. I think she looked yeah. sorry, but I don't think she actually apologised, and she walked away. So yeah, we forgot about that. Quite yeah. a key moment, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how professional we are. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Edit it in, mate, don't worry. At the end, yeah, I'll, I'll cut it up and slice it around. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, what about you, bud? What's your caca? Uh, I did mention it, because um, I am professional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's, um, no, it's, it's the stunt bit with the, her falling over. As I said, it's clearly not her. It might be a woman with a wig on. It might be a man with a wig on, for all I know. But it's clearly not her. It, it's not. It took me out of it for a split second, to be honest with you. I'm like, that wig is awful. It's fallen back. I think I can see the original person's hair underneath. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there are tights hanging off her or him. It's not good, basically. And I'm thinking, even if you didn't want to do the run scene, the wide shot they used and then fall over... They could have done it where she screamed and just showed her landing on the floor, maybe. Um, yeah. And, you know, it could have been done better ways. Maybe it was. But like you said, maybe she couldn't fall over. I don't know. But that's my caca moment, man. Went a little caca. It was definitely, it took me out of it for a moment. I actually rewound it to watch it again and see how bad it was. I was like, for goodness sake, you know, and I don't like to pick things up if I can help it because I love the show. But like you yeah. said, you stay true to the format that we're doing and we are reviewing them, essentially. It's obviously not her. 
and it's somebody in a wig <laughs> and it's it's just it wasn't done well i don't think and this that's no. a shame there's been some great action moments in this series so far you know uh you know the episode wasn't that good you play it against seymour sam's being shot at and he dives to the like left or right down to get away from the bullets and it's quite a you know despite the episode not being the best that's quite a cool moment because he's like dodging the bullets and stuff mm-hmm. so we have seen them do better is probably the the takeaway from that yeah yeah very true very true oh boy i i, I know mine and um i'm fairly certain that we're going to agree on this do you want to give it a shout out benny i think we because we did it we did say because it was uh it's, it's chopin mvp oh boy oh without yeah. a doubt Pretty much every scene Chopin's in is, um, is 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 brilliant. Just you know his reaction to Sam the first time, to jumping through Al, to the noises they put in or the dog makes. I'm not sure. You know it's a bit of both. I think. But you said about Scooby Doo earlier, and it kind of reminded me of because of Chopin. It's kind of got that. Now you think about it, with the sounds that the dog's making, um, it's kind of got the Scooby Doo sound effects in there. I suppose to a degree. You know, yeah. with the and stuff. Um, so yeah. Just Chopin in general, MVP, and um, you know the scenes he has in general. Uh, uh, it makes me smile, basically. So yeah, that's my old boy. Like, yeah. Oh boy. I agree. I 100 percent agree. And you mentioned there as well about the noises the dog is making and so on. I'm sat in the front room of my house watching this this afternoon. My dog Ronnie, who I mentioned earlier on, when Chopin is whimpering, Ronnie started whimpering. When Chopin barked, Ronnie jumped oh. up and had a look around because of course he can hear these noises and he's wondering what was going on. So that was quite a quite a funny moment for me as well try, yeah you should, try, you should rewatch it in a bit and try and film it and put it on the twitter page for when this episode comes out mate <laughs> uh, maybe, um, yeah maybe i made you later in the week actually that could be quite funny seeing <laughs> yeah. his reactions to this, this reactions that'd be yeah. good yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh and there we go then i suppose that concludes our look back on uh blind faith season two episode five of quantum leap we need to give it a quick rating out of five as we always do benny what are your thoughts bud I like the story, the depth of the characters, but overall, I think it's going to be a 2.5 for me, to be honest. Um, okay. Just for a few things, you know, we picked up on my caca as a big moment. It did take me out of it. That bit with her, the, the, the uh, female stunt person or the male stunt person mm-hmm. taking the place of her, it took me out of it a bit, to be fair. Not actually, because I was going to say about, a, you know, a, like a low three, but yeah, 2.5, I think. MVP, um, Chopin is is earned a 0.5 basically otherwise it would be a 2 okay fair enough I'm a little bit higher mate I'm, I'm, I'm putting this bang in the middle I'm giving this a 3 it's not okay. similar to how I described the last episode we reviewed I guess I, nothing happened in this episode really to make me think oh I'm not enjoying this yeah. and nothing really happened to make me think this is amazing I wouldn't seek it out. If I was going to put on a random episode of Quantum Leap to kill an hour before going yeah, out of the house yeah. or whatever, I wouldn't yeah. seek this one out. But at the same time, as, as you worded it earlier on, pretty well, to be honest, if it was on television, I wouldn't turn it over either. Yeah, so it does kind, yeah, it kind of sits yeah. in the middle for me, mate. So, so a three out of five for me. But I think that might be the first time, if not one of the few times, that you've actually scored an episode higher than me. Oh, really? Okay. I think so. I could be wrong. I think so. We'll have to review our records, which are being kept yeah. so meticulously your end, yeah? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. Next week, then, we have episode six from season two of Quantum Leap. Good morning, Peoria, I believe that is pronounced. Yeah. Yep. 
we have Sam at the end of this episode leaping into a a, a DJ, and he literally just says, yep. "I'm a DJ," and then the episode ends. So he is a DJ at an FM radio station. Memory serves me here. He's got to save the radio station, which then in turn means he's saving rock and roll or something yeah, like that. Correct. Benny, does that correct. sound right? Yeah. I remember this one a lot. This is one of my favorites, actually. So this, whether it's going to live up to that, I don't know. Um, but basically, Sam leaps into a DJ, as you've already said. Um, it's still AM radio, I think it might be. Okay. Or, um, and I, they're talking about FM, or maybe they're the first FM. I can't remember without that detail. Okay. But, um, basically, um, it's, uh, the episode's called Good Morning Peoria. Uh, obviously a play on Good Morning Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and also if anybody's a fan of, I only watched Good Morning Vietnam about two months ago for the first time. Bloody brilliant film. I cannot believe I've never seen it before. Robin Williams, freaking fab. So if you've never seen it, give it a go, guys. Um, but this is a kind of a mix of, to me, a bit, not too silly on the other side, but Airheads a little bit meets sort of Good Morning Vietnam. Okay, yeah. That vibe going on. But basically it's a small town, Peoria, it's a small radio station and basically rock and roll is being accused of, you know, poisoning the youth, disrupting the youth and a local councillor wants to ban rock and roll basically. And um, I've forgotten the name of the characters, but Sam and the owner of the station stand up to the local politics um, and say that it's free speech and rock and roll should be allowed to be played. So that's the general gist of it. So I actually know more about this one than most. <laughs> yeah, you, you've explained more there in literally that, that sort of 60 second rundown that you've given off the top of your head. You've explained more there than I could ever remember. So I'm, yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested now to, to I'm go and check what you think of it, to be honest, because I know I'm not going to say I remember everything, um, but I mean, I remember enough to, to know this is, oh, I think I, this, I may have mentioned this on my on our first ever episode you mm-hmm. know we did our list of uh, show, i think this was on my list so yeah uh, okay it's definitely one of those ones i would seek out to watch so that's a that's a tell interesting there. okay I, I can't wait to cover it then i'm really looking forward to that now brilliant stuff before we depart though benny do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and your content and your shows and all your twitter handles and so on bud yeah, just, uh, I mean, you can search Benny Mac Gaming on Facebook or Benny Mac Show on Facebook, but everything's easier to find on Twitter. So at Benny Mac, B E Triple N Y M A C K. The website is a link tree. So everything I do or I'm involved with or I'm trying to do <laughs> is in that uh, list, of, um, list of links, basically. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. You can find me uh, on Twitter and well on Twitter at SJP words, or you can find me on Facebook. There's a group there, SJP, all the shows and info and all, all the stuff I'm involved in. You can find links to being shared from there, whether that's nitro nights, a WCW look back program, uh, the doctor who pod, a W uh, sorry, a doctor who look back program, uh, chain wrestling. I do live on a Monday night via the radio techers, YouTube and Twitch channels. Uh, and obviously the podcast version of that comes out later in the week as well if you miss the live but most importantly you can find this show on facebook and twitter and instagram and pretty much bloody everywhere and just search some variation of at the waiting room underscore and it will come up the waiting room a quantum leap podcast but again at sjp words on twitter it's probably the best place for me many once again, my friend, I seem to say it every week, but I've had a bloody great time watching this program and then talking about it with you. It's awesome. It always brings more of a depth to the show after I spoke to you about it because we get into it and you've noticed things and I've noticed things. And yeah, 
gets very psychological sometimes. I've noticed as well, which is cool. And we dive we're both that, we're that both of us are that intelligent, mate. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> No worries. In that case, my friend, I will, you know, thanks to everybody else for listening, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, time to leap outside. So.